This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to the MK1 podcast. You already heard everything Milton Keynes Dons. Uh, I'm, I'm back from a week hiatus. Uh, I'm still very tired. I'm still very ill, but I'm here. I'm, I'm back on the podcast. Joe, thank you very much for recovering from me last week. Uh, Ross, are you all good? Yeah, I'm doing all well, thanks. It's a step closer to uh, Sunderland Weekender. I'm looking forward to it. Good stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it myself. It's going to be a, a busy weekend, but a good one. Uh, Joe, how you doing? Yeah, well, um, upon the news that both of you are ill, I'm not really looking forward to staying in a confined area for four hours <laughs> on the way up to, uh, to... And I'd just like to clarify to the listeners, we're not spending the weekend in Sunderland. We are staying in Newcastle, just to clarify. Yes, yeah. In case that, there's any confusion there. <laughs> yeah, that, that, is, that is a big point. If that, and, uh, I'll be fine by uh, Saturday, don't you worry. Um, just Yeah, it's a bit run down, basically, because obviously I'll be working super far night. It's been a bit mental, to be honest, but... Um, yeah, I'm all. I'm all good. I'm all good. Well, good enough to be on the good enough to be on the podcast anyway, and talk about Don's, which is good. So, yeah. Um, obviously, not talk about this weekend. Oh, this week as well. Also about about the past weekend, like it's Ipswich, um, Sunderland away, of course. Big away day for us. Missed out on the chance last time to do it, so look forward to doing it this Saturday. And uh, yeah, in between that, we'll chat a bit about, you know, a bit about our attacking and defensive play. Automatic promotion chances. Yeah, a lot, lot, lot to talk about, lots to talk about. But we will start with Ipswich at home. Of course, a, a rare nil nil draw for the Dons. Uh, I don't think it's happened. When did last happen? Was it to Gillingham nil nil? Um, but yeah, it's been a while anyway. I don't really, really get involved in nil nil. Four weeks basically. ago, Luke. <laughs> yeah, well, if it, feels, it feels a lot longer than that, to be honest with you. It really does. Um, we don't, with how good we've been attacking wise this season and recently, how good how good we've been defensively, it's. Uh, we don't really associate with Don's team being nil nils, to be honest. But yeah, hey, here we are. Um, two great keepers and goals, to be fair. And Walton and Cubby kind of helps that a lot. Some fantastic saves with Walton, especially from Twiney. 
I felt, you know, trying, talked about a lot on um, the What The Flat podcast in terms of trying being a difference maker. And he had two really, really good chances that I think if 90% of the keeps in the league were in goal, it probably goes in, at least one of them. But of course, Walton saves both. And yeah, the fact that he's got two years, which somehow is, well, I don't know how to be honest, but yeah, overall really even game. I know that it's quite split between, I think people are fairly split in terms of who thought they deserve the three points. I know quite a few Don's fans are mixed in terms of whether they thought Ipswich edged it or Don's edged it. I personally felt we edged it in terms of the chances we had. Um, they just had a really good keeper and goal that stopped it. Um, but yeah, it, ultimately, Ross, it was, it was two good teams giving us it. Um, say okay, and neither of them could find a winner. Yeah, I've, I've, I think you mentioned it. Then we just cancelled out one another, and um, before the game, I probably would have took a point against an Ipswich team which were flying, um, and they're in some decent form. Um, I know, obviously, Ipswich their table, their their position in the table obviously doesn't show uh, actually how good they are, but if you look at some of the players. They've got some ex-championship players in there, like Sam Morsey, um, a player who I really rate um, and who performed on the day. I felt like he was breaking up the play very nicely. And, um, yeah, you can tell there's a lot of talent within that squad, um, as well as Wes Burns. I felt he was probably the best player on the pitch in my eyes, um, really having some um, good success down that right-hand side. Um, beating his man a few times and um, he dragged a shot wide, I believe, in the uh, second half. Um, but yeah, overall, I'm, I, I was happy with the point. Yes, we can look at these chances and say Twine's free kick. The keeper's probably anticipating him to go over the wall instead of around. Um, and then obviously, I, think, I believe it was in the half volley from Fio's cross in the first half. And then Walton tips it over. Um, so there wasn't any real clear-cut chances um, in the game, but there were more half chances. But I think one chance which stood out for me, um, I expected him to do a bit better on the chance, was Harams in the second half where he uh, got inside the box. He slot, I do believe he slightly dragged dragged it along the floor too much and uh, I think the keeper just um, parried it out. So, yes, um, it's another point on the board, probably one I would have took. But um, if, if we take three points on Saturday, four points out of them two games, you really can't complain, can you? No, no, not at all, really. And yeah, I think everyone was expecting a pretty tight one in this one. You know, as I keep mentioning, all you got to do is look at the two keepers in that, arguably two of the better keepers in the league. I think even before that game, they showcased that in general. And yeah, obviously Sam Morse is very familiar with us Don's fans, of course, being a favourite of Carl Robinson in the past and having multiple seasons where we were linked to him and or could he join the Don's? Never actually did. Um, but yeah, Joe, overall, how did you how did you find Saturday's draw against Ipswich? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it was very much so two two very good teams, I thought, cancelling each other out. I thought that, I think I think it was a game both teams didn't want to lose as well. So I think neither team really went for it. You know, you look at the amount of numbers we were committing forward. You know, it, it was not as if we were sitting back or anything, but I just don't think we were going, you know, weren't chasing it and thinking, right, if we don't score, it's the end of our season, essentially. Um, we were quite measured in how we played. I thought, you know, it was quite good, actually, the game that had peaks and troughs. We were amazing the first 20 minutes or so. They then came into it, but then we finished the half strong. Then they came out second half and they got the better of it. And then towards the end of the second half, towards the end of the game, it was us that were probably more, the more likely. So I thought the game had quite a good flow to it. Um, I think clearly they've got 
think the main difference in Ipswich's players for me was just the sheer strength, pace and power of some of their players. You know, I think it was Bakinson and oh, the, the the number 44 centre-back for them. I, I can't pronounce his name, I'm afraid, but he, he, was, he was an absolute beast. And, and you know, th- there was hardly any sort of mistakes uh, for either team. I think the only chances that were created were through, you know, individual skill. I felt first and Selena. If he had half a yard of space, he he played a good ball through to Caden Jackson, who probably should have done better, to be honest. Um, but then again, a good save from Jamie Cumming again, as we said. Um, so, yeah, I think it was very much a case of just don't lose this game. Keep the momentum going. I think one loss in 11, which, yeah, obviously was to the team that was bottom of the league. You know, of course it was. Um, but, you know, it's it just keeps, you know, keeps the streak going. Another clean sheet and... Um, yeah, definitely things to work on. But, you know, if there wasn't things to work on, then we'd be sit, already promoted by now, wouldn't we? Yeah, and I think one of those things to work on, mentioned Selena, he played in the 10, really, in that performance on Saturday. And that that position for the opposition has been a lot of talk recently. Because I know, Joe, you mentioned your article for fans, but um, which you haven't checked out, please do. It's a brilliant read. You mentioned about how we've kind of traded you know, this free scoring of goals for this defensive solidarity. Um, but at times when it, it isn't really where we aren't as solid as we have been from 80% of the games, it's always been that 10 position that's really got the, probably the most rewards of that in terms of finding space when, say, McEachern has pushed forward and the Coventry's kind of isolated on his own. How, how as a team, do we cover that in general? Is it, is it the role of McEachern to, you know, be more wary of it is it the case of say a likes of a daniel harvey just staying back when tonight watson goes forward and what, what are your thoughts on overall joe yeah it's it is an interesting one i mean as you mentioned we, we have been on, on this run that we've been on in the last 11 games i think it's five or six clean sheets we've kept and i think this has coincided with when we went three four three so we started playing theo and twine more as wingers rather than just behind the striker as number 10. So I think that we're, we're marking out, out the wings really well. But yeah, as you say, maybe sometimes in the middle, there's a little bit more, more of a gap. Um, I think it's uh, I think one thing that centre-backs have done quite well recently is pushing out, um, pushing up um, when, you know, defender, when the, the attackers get the ball is really making sure that they're under pressure from minute one and don't allow them to turn. And I think it all, it really is just about midfielders and uh, the defenders working together. Because um, I think, in any sort of football game, you know, if you're rigid by your positions, then it's it's not a good place to be, and you need to be flexible for the situation. Um, and then, it, so yeah, I think that in terms of defensively, I think yeah, it's McEachern and Coventry have got an increased responsibility. I feel with um, you know us playing the play at the two behind the striker out wide rather than just behind him. Um, but yeah, it, it has been an interesting period because we have really, really been like Wickham. I thought we were comfortable, really. Portsmouth, we were under the cosh, but we we managed to hold on. Um, and then there's been a few other really good, you know, Lincoln. Although it was only one moment really when and they took advantage of it. It just a lapse of concentrations from ourselves. So um, it, it, yeah, the defensive d- displays have been good going forward. I think it's been a weird one because I think. Troy has been essential to how well we've pressed and how well we've actually um, been able to get the ball back and put pressure on the opposition. But 
maybe he hasn't got the clinical edge in the box that a Moisa or a Conor Wickham has. So, yeah, plenty of uh, problems there for Liam Manning to, to look at. Yeah, and I think this is where the time of the training guys is really valuable. And I think this season, this part of the season anyway is where we don't really have too much congestion midweek. Of course, we have the Charlton game coming up next week uh, on Wednesday. I think it's Wednesday. I think it's Wednesday. Um, Tuesday. Oh, is it Tuesday? Tuesday? Well, there you go. There you go. Um, either way, it's a midweek game, which is a fairly important one for us, really, especially going to Charlton, which we usually have a, a, a decent record at, typically. Um, but yeah, this week especially, managed to have a lot of time on the training ground, Ross's and Ian's. It's trying to solve this issue, but also a few others. Yeah, and that's what obviously that's the manager's dream, really, to obviously get uh, get them on the training ground and obviously learn their the the rights and wrongs, if you want to call them that, um, of the, each performance. But something I just wanted to highlight was obviously I know Connor Coventry; he's only had like five or six games in this midfield, so he's still embedded in 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 this midfield. And same as Theo, he's had a couple of games, and yes. We, we love his attacking play, and we saw that with Scott Fraser. But I think what, what Russ done with Scott Fraser so well was the defensive work and his work rate off the ball, and that's what made him even a better of a player. So we've got to give him time in these in these situations because, as Joe's just mentioned, yes, our press, our high line um, is very very good, and something we struggled uh, earlier on in the season against like uh, the likes of Sheffield Wednesday, for example. Um, so we are learning as a team and obviously with it being such a young team still, um, they're going to learn on the job practically. So um, I think it's just a case of giving them time and they'll they'll learn one another's uh, strengths and weaknesses and uh, you just move on from there really, don't you? Yeah, yeah, a bit of work experience to the players on the pitch. That always helps, always helps. It's better to learn on the job than off it, so... Yeah, and uh, I mean, we're fairly fortunate in that we do have a bit of a cushion compared to most teams in our position. Um, of course, maybe not in games in hand, but definitely in points where we are in the league. I think, you know, I'd say we can't afford to have two or three bad results in a row, but we definitely can afford to have picking up one point here, one point there, rather than, you know, say, three points consistently needed to get to where we are in the league. So, yeah, we are fairly fortunate compared to other teams, but... Yeah, I think I think Leland job is, is a fair assessment of that. Um, all the points you guys mentioned regarding flexibility, the high line, the press, I think it all, yeah, you mentioned it all goes around Troy Parrott. And um, obviously he was, he was a striker in the 3-4-3 on Saturday. And I think for me, he's brilliant at what he does in terms of the pressing. But I think on Saturday, his link-up player was a bit off. And I think that's ultimately why he got uh, substituted for um, Connor about 60 minutes through the game. Um, well, of course, Connor obviously something different from that, but Troy for me was a bit, he's a bit off it. And it's just me, I think we all know with Troy, it's, it's a communication thing with him and Manning. It's you try to manage two big personalities in Mo and Troy in terms of when they play. And you know, I'm assuming there's a good chance that Mo gets to start on Saturday based off Troy's performance now. And it's, it's very, it's, it's a really tough balance in that to manage, but I don't know if you boys what your assessment was of Troy on Saturday. And I know we've mentioned pre-recording that we felt Mo might start, but is, it, is there an argument for Troy starting on Saturday? Just purely because of the pressing side of things. Yeah, I think, I think, like I said, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think Troy has done a fantastic job. I think one of the things, um, one of the chances that we had on Saturday, I can't remember which one it was, but 
it would, it came from Troy closing down a defender and then he actually turned to Theo. Theo wasn't coming with him and he was shouting at Theo to start pressing the, the other opposition player. And then Twine, you know, Twine is just relentless with his press and he is excellent and it does go unnoticed, I think, a lot of the time. So, like, all three of them were bearing down in, you know, and it was Troy the one that was coordinating that. And then we won the ball back, a quick turnover, and and, and then we had a, a half-decent chance. And I think, yeah, like you say, Troy's so good at stuff like that. However, when the ball gets fizzed into him, I think one thing that Mo does quite well is he doesn't try and do too much, if that makes sense. He, he knows that he's there to get on the end of it. He knows he's not <clears throat> not going to be the one, you know, dribbling through 30 players and scoring from 30 yards. He knows that his job is to get the ball in the, in and around the 18-yard box. And you look, at it, you look at Mo when he's at his best, you know, Accrington away, uh, Portsmouth away, Crew away. What, what do all those goals have in common? It's like one or two touches and it's, it's a fin- really good quality finish. So I think that, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that, um, yeah, with Mo, he's maybe got that clinical edge. Whereas I think Troy, he does so much for the team. So maybe defensively, actually, we might be a little bit worse with Mo in the team. However, we might have a bit more of a, an attacking threat. And I think another thing with Mo is that he, he, he might be looked as being lazy or something, but he, he stays in the box. And that means that, you know, defenders, defenders have to commit, say, two men to people in the box. Whereas, you know, Troy loves to drift wide and he loves to try and get the ball. Whereas Mo's, you know, I think he's quite happy to wait for the ball to fall to him. So I think, yeah, there's there's pros and cons to both um, arguments. But I think if you're going to play wingers that are dribbling, someone like Theo, I think Theo would definitely, definitely plays better with Mo. I think, you know, some of Mo, uh, Theo's best performances, the likes of... Um, Burton away and uh, Portsmouth away. They came when Mo was starting. So, yeah, I think it's it, like you say, it's all comes down to whether Manning wants the pressing or whether he maybe wants a bit more of a bit more potency up, up front. Yeah, and and I think the ultimate take from all of this is that we can be flexible. Um, you know, we, if we need to be, turns out some of the approach here. I think. The common theme that I mentioned on several podcasts and platforms this week is that, especially with away games this year, I think the first 15 to 20 minutes, we've kind of adapted to the situation a lot more than we have previous seasons. Um, we've kind of just, for me, got in with, okay, let's just survive the first 20 minutes, see how the opposition set up and go from there. I think it was really evident against teams like Morecambe. Um, I think Pompey was a fairly obvious one as well. Admittedly, we got, well, I don't want to say lucky, but we I think we are in that first goal quite nicely. Um, but games like that, especially, which is where we've kind of sat back, let let the game play itself out and just go from there. And I think Sunderland, without diving into it too much, could be an interesting scenario in that front. Because there's a, there's a lot going on there regarding the ownership and how the squad and how the fans are currently feeling, which you'll hear on later from Graham. But it's a very toxic atmosphere at the moment and it really could go either way. And I think it's probably going to be our most unpredictable game of the season in terms of how it will go. So it's going to be very interesting to see how uh, Manning adapts to it all. Yeah, as well as being flexible, um, regardless of whether it's home or away, of course, you know, we've picked up the most points since Boxing Day. And with what well, we've lost, we've lost plenty of players, have brought in plenty of players, three of which who, you know, are still trying to adapt into the team so on deadline day. Um, and we, yeah, we're, we're still picking up, still picking up loads of points. So, immediately, 
you know, some people may want wins instead of draws, but end of the day, it's keeping us where we are in the league. You know, we're, we're top of the playoffs currently. We're in a really good position compared to other teams around us. Um, and yeah, I think it just shows off our adaptability in, in general. And I know Liam Manning was saying that he wants the players to enjoy the journey overall and just enjoy the ride. And I think I think as fans, we could probably take that same note also. Um, I know, I think, I'm, I'm a Celtic fan, I get a bit straight sometimes where, you know, we have really big chances in games like Ipswich and Ampel with Twy in the end. I think, oh, we should have won that game. And I, I feel, and I did feel that on Saturday, to be fair, especially with that free kick in towards the end. I was a bit gutted that didn't go in. Um, but hey, listen, we're, we're sort of in a good position. Um, let's, let's enjoy the players while we have them. Because it, we, we, we all know they could go and start click up like that with Matt O'Reilly, for example. So, yeah, enjoy the rest of the season. And uh, yeah, ho- hopefully hopefully see you in Sunderland on, uh, on Saturday. Before we uh, touch upon Sunderland, um, Obviously, with Wigan beating Crew midweek, and they've still got, I think, three games of hand on us, and they can still build that gap even further to what it is currently. We're probably looking at a, digi- a double-digit gap in terms of points between us and the top two regarding automatic promotion. Now, I've seen some bigger EFL accounts and um, even some Don's fancy fair sort of say that that's, that's automatic, done and dusted. You know, let's just focus on securing our spot in the playoffs. I do, I do appreciate that view. Don't get me wrong, but I think to write off automatic promotion completely is is the wrong attitude to have. Um, because we've still got to play Rotherham Wigan yet, and I know even if we beat those, yes, the gap the gap will still be you know at least, at least uh, eight points, maybe hopefully a bit less than that. Who beat both of them guys? But I want to get your guys' thoughts on automatic promotion chase in general. Do you think we should still be aiming high, or do you reckon we should be trying to secure a spot in the playoffs? I, I think that <clears throat> look. Of course, we're we're there or thereabouts. But in I think you know it's it's a pipe dream. I think the, the the automatic promotion. Just to put you in, just to put it in sort of context, in terms of points per game, which is a better measure of you know how everyone's doing because not everyone's on the same amount of games. Rotherham two point one nine, Wigan two point one four. And then the next best, Milton Keenstons, 1.78. So on average, Wigan are picking up, Wigan and Rotherham are picking up nearly 0.4 points more per game than, than we are. And that's, you know, that's a huge amount. That's a huge difference. Um, <clears throat> as you said, they're five points ahead with three games in hand. Um, but, you know, I'm saying all this, but I'm not saying it as if it's you know necessarily a bad thing. We've got a mid-table budget. We shouldn't even be where we are. Look at some of the teams around us. I think Wigan's wage bill, it came, um, or it might have been Ipswich's, is like four or five times the size of ours. You know, we're competing with these teams and going toe-to-toe to them, with them. So we should be proud of where we are. And anywhere in the playoffs would be an achievement. And we're, you know, finally poised. We're, we're sat third, as you say, the highest position in the playoffs. So, yeah. For me, you know, automatic promotion, it's never really been on my radar because I've always sort of known that Wigan, they've got that those games in hand and Rotherham are just, well, I mean, we played Rotherham and we saw what happened when we played them. So, um, you know, they're a very good team. So, yeah, but, you know, for me, the autos are, are gone, but that's not, a, I'm not like angry or anything like that because... Um, we're still having a fantastic season and we're in a great spot leading up to the last uh, last few games of the season. 
Yeah, I mean, I do, I do completely agree that we're in a fantastic, fantastic position, and you know, I, I've, I did think we'd be a playoff team, but I didn't think we'd be this, this secure in the playoffs to be honest at this stage of the season. Um, so yeah, the fact that we are, and with all the all the transactions that have happened uh, in December and January, I think I think it's fantastic. Um, I I'm not I'm not as strong as you in terms of I, I do think the chance for autos is still there. Um, even if it is a faint chance. Um, so I, I ultimately, if I think there's a faint chance, I do think we should go for it. Um, and, and ultimately, I, I feel the lads will be exactly the same dressing room. You know, it's still a chance to win games end of the day. And Liam Manning's is all about the momentum going into well, any, any game, really. So I think his I think his aim will be to win as many games as possible, regardless of you know if we can secure autos or secure third or secure wherever we are in the league. Hopefully that is in the top six. Um, but yeah, I'm sure that'll be the aim outside. But yeah, I, I can appreciate people's thinking that it's a bit of a long shot. And if it's fair, it probably is. But, you know, I think what the chance is still there. We should probably go for it. Uh, Ross, I don't know what your thoughts are on it all. I, I'm, I align my thoughts with you, Liam. I feel like there's so many more play, points to play for. Um, this weekend or Friday, I believe, Wigan play Rotherham. Wigan could get loads of injuries. We don't know. That's what that's what League One and football's all about. There's turns, there's um, downs, there's ups, and uh, at the end of the day, I like it this way because there's no literally there's no pressure on us whatsoever. Because obviously, as we've mentioned just previously, um, we we didn't expect to be in this position ourselves. But as Joe, you said, it's it's you can dream, can't you? There's there's no harm dreaming about it. Um, but we've got we're going to have to be in some hell of a form. I, I believe we probably will have to win a lot of our games uh, coming to the back end of this season. But again, we've st- we've got a lot of big teams still to play, like Sheffield Wednesday, uh, Plymouth, um, Rotherham at home away. Um, we're going to home, I believe. So there's still plenty of points to play for. Um, yes, I I get where Joe's coming from. Yes, the squad the squad on paper is a lot better than what we we've got. Um, and I understand that, but at the end of the day, if you're going to rule it out now, what what what's the point? Because of they haven't secured anything just yet. And until it is confirmed, I, I won't stop believing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look look at Plymouth for example. Plymouth, what top of the league come November? They were you know pretty much locking in playoffs, so they're not even in it at the moment. So this this league is so unpredictable, and even two bad results for us. Say we lose two, three games in a row. Yeah, we're, we're, we could be looking down rather than up. So, you know, there, there's a lot of credit, as we said earlier, there's a lot of credit in what Manning's done in terms of, you know, even if it's not winning games, it's constantly ticking along, getting points, because those points are going to be huge come May, uh, 100%. And if we can, you know, if we do get in the playoffs, and if we do have a, a decent draw, hopefully we do, um, then, you know, it'll, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. And hopefully we have a successful trip that way. Okay, well, we'll take a short little break and then we'll dive into our preview with Graham for What The Fault podcast on Sunderland. This podcast is a proud member of the Fan Hub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with Fan Hub to put fans first. Search Fan Hub app to play your part in the journey. Welcome back to the latest opposition overview. Sunderland away, of course. We did get a chance to go last time because of a lovely COVID that ruined our plans there. We missed a pretty good away day. So here's hoping it's uh, another second win at Sunderland in back-to-back seasons. 
I'm sure our guest Graham doesn't think the same, but uh, Graham, how are you doing? I'm very well. You've just reminded me of that game. I completely forgot it existed. I think Phil Parkinson was in charge when we got beat 2-1. Cameron Jerome. Yes, yeah, Cameron Jerome and Scotty Fraser. I forgot it existed, Dan. Both, of course, on uh, different new pastures now. I was with Scott mm-hmm. and Charlton and uh, Cameron Jerome and Lovely Luton. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was it was a good away day. That unfortunately you can watch it during our our laptops. But I'm sure for your 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 case, it was a blessing in disguise. To be honest, I remember rightly, we don't I don't have that laptop that I watch the game on anymore because it's hung <laughs> out the window. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. Obviously, um, a lot going on at Sunderland at the moment, isn't there? Really, uh, I don't know where to start. I suppose we'll start with, with the ownership issue that's come up today. Do you want to do you want to talk us through it? Yeah, of course. Um, you'd be right in saying a lot's been going on. I think um, I don't know whether Netflix has kind of caused this issue because I know we're a big club anywhere, historically a Premier League or high level championship club with a big fan base. But I feel like Netflix has accentuated it as well, um, and we've kind of turned into this really stereotypical banter club. Um, which is really annoying um, and kind of embarrassing at points. But um, obviously, people who will have seen Netflix will have seen Donald and, and Meth Fen and that they're not exactly being the best way to run a football club. The, the really long story short was it's not just that. A, a lot of stuff that was said by, in particular, Charlie Meth Fen, both in private, that got leaked publicly, um, and in fans' forums and after games, player final defeats and things like that was very derogatory towards something. I won't, I won't go over them, but they, they weren't good. No fan wants to be spoken about that way, especially not by someone who supports Oxford and has known the club for the best part of two, three years. Um, as I'm sure many people saw, uh, Kira Louis-Dreyfus, 24 years old, I think his dad owned Marseille for a long time, uh, came in, did a relatively decent interview where he discussed previous asset strippers and um, that he wanted to run the, the, the club honestly and on a database. The keyword being honest, and, and there's been a long discussion about how much of the club he actually owns. And because I think he said he, he owned the most shares, which when you read into it a little bit, especially after today's news, it's a little bit confusing. But if there's a big meeting tomorrow with uh, Red and White Army, which is like the fans collective, so to speak, and, and everyone has something to say on that. And, and one of the big questions that were going to come up were, how much of the club do you actually own? And he's actually announced it today via the Athletic. Um, it's not been a good two weeks, not just on the pitch. The, there was a big debacle about Roy Keane. And I mean, you only had to look at what was going on with that. It just That's not how you run a football club, basically. Um, but he's admitted today that he owns 41%. Stuart Donald owns, I think, 34, 35. Um, Methan owns 5%, which is just 1% less than what he owned previously. And, and once a Tory, he was a part of the what's called the Madrox group owns the rest of it which I think is 20% so effectively the group that everyone wanted out and the group that said they resigned um, or some of them had and that hadn't really said the nicest things about us to put it politely own more of the football club collectively than KLD does Um, and we were told for a long time there was a non-disclosure agreement on that that's why he couldn't admit to it. Suddenly that non-disclosure agreement disappears a day before a big collective meeting and four really bad results and a change of manager. Um, and effectively, it just feels like we're kind of back to square one and, and we've been lied to again. And um, there's plenty of clubs probably throughout the EFL and, and probably even in the, the Premier League. I think Burnley are a case at the moment where there's been a lot of problems with ownership 
Um, and I mean, there's much more of the story I could add about how they allegedly acquired the club, which also isn't great, but I won't go into that for media law reasons. Um, I don't want to be getting sued or anything like that. <laughs> I haven't got the money right now, um, but it's not good. It's not good. Basically, we've been told for over a year that they own shares in the club, don't have anything to do with the day-to-day running. Um, there's rumours that Methven had an awful lot of say in new manager, then this comes out today and everything's just exploded a bit. I think with something that's been a really torrid, depressing time for a long, long time. Um, and it gets to a point when you love something so much and, and you see getting hurt that much, you, you kind of sometimes strike out in anger. And I think that's what you're seeing from the Sunderland fan base at the moment. Yeah, I think, well, especially recently, and it's been gone on for years, really, in terms of how clubs communicate to their fans. Well, I mean, in their method, they're so-called fans anyway that, you know, it's... There's all there's all the debate in terms of why is a football fan recently in terms of like everything that's happened off the pitch in terms of leading up to games and of course it's all the Leicester fans of Forest. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting time for football. I, I'm not against the whole you know, debate on it all because this is the end of the day. It's Sunday and Kedon's, um preview show, but yeah, it's I think it's going to be very interesting off season to see you know what 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 sort of club relationship what are close relationships between fans and the actual the higher ups of, of clubs because. Clearly, uh, Sunderland, and I know it's happened with Dons in the past. It's a, uh, it's a bit fragile to say the least. That's the word I would use. Yeah, um, it's not great, and I think in the eyes of many Sunderland fans, the problem. Some people will disagree with me on this, but the problem at the minute is sometimes I think I said in my podcast before, all changes with a win on a weekend. I don't know if fans feel like that's going to be the case because are we just extending the pain and, and allowing the people at the top to be in charge of the club? And we we quite plainly, we all have different opinions, but I would say the majority do not want Madrox as an ownership group as part of the club. Some people think because KLD has lied about the ownership that they don't either. Me personally, I'm I'm prepared to give anyone a second chance if he can realize he's made a mistake with that, but he has to he has to remove them from the football club, absolutely. Yeah, and it's not only that, of course, that's happened in the past few weeks. Um, the manager at the door, Alex Neal, formerly of Preston, of course. Only played the one game so far against AFC, a lovely friend in Southwest London. Um, first of all, how did that go? And what have you seen from Alex Neal's side that excites you? Um, nothing in terms of Sunderlanders, yeah. I think, and again, what I don't want to touch on the ownership and the way the club's been run, but I kind of have to in context. So we chased Roy Keane for two weeks. Yeah, Alex Neil Grant McCann obviously wanted the job. I think pretty much the minute that Lee Johnson walked out the door, I don't think anyone would have been disappointed with Alex Neil. He's got a really good pedigree. I think he did really well up here in Scotland, where I live, with um, with Hamilton at the age of thirty-two. He's got a playoff um, promotion with them. He's got a playoff promotion with Norwich for the Championship to the Premier League. Yes, he's got a relegation on his CV, but he was an orange manager. So that's going to come at some point if you've got promotion there because they are the, the stereotypical yo-yo club. Um, and then, you know, Preston fans have spoke really well about him and I think he gave them their the highest run. So I think most Sunderland fans would have been completely fine with it. But we spent, or the club spent the best part of two weeks kind of flirting with our previous manager, Roy Keane, who's obviously very well liked here. He's obviously box office. He's smirking and smiling on TV and saying that you can't make comment and stuff like that. And everyone's thinking, oh, well, he's, he's coming home, like brilliant. And we like that Roy Keane instilled standards in the football club. Um, lo and behold, that broke down, I assume, based on what I was saying previously, because Roy Keane likes a good ownership. And I think Ian Wright alluded to that, saying that 
things have got to be right upstairs. And then, then yeah. Alex Neal walked through the door. And I think, I think everyone was okay with Alex Neal. You know, everyone was fine, but we wasted 10 days farting about flirting with Roy Keane. Like, if, if you felt Alex Neal was the right choice then, it probably would have... We may have got better results against Cheltenham and, and Doncaster. You'll never know, but I would like to think so. But I think, you know, on the on the face of it, Alex Neal said in his interview, he feels that League One's probably a little bit beneath him. I kind of agree with him on that. Um, based on his, his profile and the things he's done previously, he's young, he's very different in his interviews, and we've only seen one or two. It's, it's hard to judge him, but in the two or three interviews he's done, where Lee Johnson was all about the pitch personalities and the Sharks attack Monday and all this kind of like rubbish kind of LinkedIn speak that I personally couldn't stand. <laughs> Alex Neal is very much from, from Glasgow in the way that he speaks. And, and I prefer that. And he's called out, he's called out the problem almost instantly that we have too many young players that are burnt out and we're signing a load of players on the age of 21. I think six of them played against um, AFC Wimbledon and the other players that have got that are experienced don't have enough game time. And it's a massive imbalance. And he called that, straight after the Wimbledon game. Not really his fault, the Wimbledon game, but we were, for want of a better word, crap. Um, one, I think we had one shot on target, and that was Alex Petrard's free kick, pretty much the same as what it was against Cheltenham. Um, but hopefully he can remedy that. He's, he's, he's had a week. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy that... Um, he, he seems to know what he wants from a football club or what he wants from his team, and he doesn't mince his words. So... Hopefully he's gone in that dressing room and said, look, I need better because um, it needs to be better because if it's anywhere near the level of what we've had the past month, you'll, you'll spank us on Saturday. With, with all that talk, though, it, obviously you sit currently fourth in the league table. With all the talk of Alex Neal and the ownership, it it kind of feels like you're writing the season off, which is such a... I know, I know, I think, I think I saw some Dons fans not writing the season off, but saying we're not going for automatics anymore. That that's just really baffling talk to me. Um, obviously, I understand this is very negative at the moment, but you know, you, you're still where you are in the league in terms of position. That I wouldn't, I wouldn't be as negative, but I suppose it's very hard to not be that when everything going on around off the pitch is, you know, as I said to you, as I said, it's, it's fragile, really. It, I think it's recent history as well. We've, I think, first season. You go back and we were doing quite well. We looked not nailed on for top two, but like we could really make it. We had the best striker in the league in Josh Major. Um, probably still would be the best striker in the league if he ever came back down here. Um, scored a couple of goals in the Premier League for, for Fulham last year. So that guy's talent is there for everyone to see. Then he went in the summer and we signed Will Grigg and everyone across the world has seen what happened with that. That was just stupid. Um, then we sacked Jack Ross and appointed Phil Parkinson. Um, that was never going to work his first season. He had a decent run, then a bad run, then COVID hit. Um, so we knocked out by PP, PPG because of Wickham. That's a bigger, longer story. And then, yeah, I know. And then last season, you know, a couple of games in hand, um, level on points, I think more or less with, um, oh God, who went up again? There's that many that's gone up ahead of us. Um, well, it was Blackpool that finished third. And then, of course, top of the league, we had. Hello, Peter, bro. Paul and Peterborough, that's it. There's that many that have gone up. I'm still thinking back to Barnsley and Luton when we first came down <laughs> here. Um, Hull, Hull had under two points per game. They, they really duffed it. And one of the big reasons I didn't want Grant McCann. So they weren't exactly special and Peterborough were worse. Hull won the league. And we, I think, got about 10 games before the end of the season, maybe a bit more with games in hand and more or less level on points or a point behind. And we just didn't win a game <laughs> for 10 games. Like Lee Johnson just went on one of his really horrendously long streaks. And then... 
start of the season, we, we started really well and it felt like it was maybe our time and even opposition fans were going, that looks like this might be a season. And it's just fallen on its backside again and we, we've lost, you know, 6-0 at Bolton, we've lost to Cheltenham away, we've lost a Rotherham 5-1. Um, we drew 1-1 with Shrewsbury with 10 men. Um, it's just, it just feels like it's crumbling again and I think the problem is with, with Sunderland fans, maybe in isolation, you'd, you'd kind of, Roll, you know, roll your socks up, or your sleeves up, sorry, um, and and kind of try and get behind the lads, which they, they still will, despite all this stuff, we, we still will. We're, we're suckers for loving our football team, as, as I'm sure many people know, but I think the history of, the recent history of Sunderland indicates that we're going to bottle it again and just fall apart in the playoffs like we always do. Yeah, I was saying to you and your podcast, Graham, that I did feel this year it was Sunderland year. I felt like they got rid of a lot of the dead words. Um, of course, they brought in players like Ross Stewart, who's been fantastic this season, 18 goals in the league alone. Uh, and I watched them against Arsenal in person in the uh, Carabao, and they played really, really well, I thought, overall. Obviously, you know, the quality came through eventually, but they they they, they fought. And I suppose, as you mentioned there, the Sunderland fans are probably going to fight for their players on the pitch on Saturday. So it's... And I, I think, you know, it's... I mentioned to on your podcast also, check that out if you haven't already, um, in terms of how in the first 10 to 20 minutes of games a season away from home, uh, Dons have been very slow to get into games initially. So I, th- I think for me, one of the, one of the well, two of the key things really is to beat this Don side, I think is A, start fast and B, uh, well, I, th- I think break the structure a bit. But so, so do you generally think that Sunderland fans get behind a team on Saturday then? really weird I think uh, uh, things have got that bad I, I wasn't necessarily saying we should or we shouldn't uh, I'm probably erring towards we should but I just basically posted the question of people would back a protest based on what happened today and 77-ish are like in a yes and, and 20 odd percent are in a no so it indicates that 70 percent of the Twitter fan base and Twitter is never a good barometer let's be honest uh, for anything on the planet um but say that it was, um, there's a fair amount of those fans that are disgruntled, fair amount of those fans that don't want to renew next season because of what's going on. But there's still a big portion of fans that say, look, this is a massive game. We've got to salvage something from this season. We, we can't afford to draw nor lose this game because it's a battle on for the playoffs. And ultimately, we need to sort it out on the pitch. And, and I think I think the thing is with Sunderland, I think people have said it before, you know, sometimes a, a good hard tackle when you've gone through someone in the middle of the pitch is cheated as much as a goal. And as much as our instinct is to get really angry at the, the higher up is if, if we score in the first 10 minutes, we love the club. Like that's why we've got about four, five, six different podcasts that all cover the same football club. And because we're all mad about it, it's why I travel down from Glasgow every weekend to places like Akron and Blum and Bolton to see us get beat 6-0. We, we do love the club and it's really hard to turn off that love like a tap, especially when they're winning. Um, but if, I mean, Doncaster had 38,000 fans there because everyone's back to see JD and obviously we love JD. And, but the players didn't give us anything on the pitch to react to. It is the God's honest truth. We tried our best and, and I worry that if they do the same again, they give us nothing to react to. I wouldn't say it goes sour because I don't think our fans are toxic or sour. I know some people do. Um, but it's it's hard to have nothing to shout about. Give us something to shout about. And yeah, we can roll the team on, but they they need to come. They need to do something for us first at this moment, I think, that the way they've performed over the past few weeks. Yeah, that's completely fair enough and understandable. It's, it sounds like to me, based on what you've been talking about, it's still to be about matter of time. 
Um, and with this season in mind, we don't really have a lot of time left. Yeah, for what, a few months, if that. It's, and obviously, Alex Neil needs time. Ownership needs time to sort itself out. It's, it's, it's always, it sounds like a bit of a ticking time bomb, to be honest. And it mm-hmm. obviously it could, could go either way for me at the moment. And it's obviously edging towards one side at the moment, but we'll see on that front. It's not good. Like at, at the minute, it's not good. It's something that and it hasn't been good for a long, long time. Um, th- there is players on that pitch that are good players. You know, Alex Pritchard's far above this level, um, far, far above it. Roscoe has been really off form over the past few weeks, but he's had a good season. Um, and sometimes, you, you know, you, you can't always feed off scraps. Um, and Jimmy and Defoe, 39 years old, I don't care what anyone says, this league's not that good. Uh, we've seen Wes Hulahan absolutely turn like tortured defences and midfields in this at this level and he's about 55 um so Jermaine Defoe at 39 I think you know once he's up the speed is always an asset and we are you know there's players in there that are good players Jack Clark's looked all right uh, since he's came in there's, there's players that are good players so if they just sort themselves out get a bit of confidence you, you never know um I think the problem and this is specifically me people might agree people might disagree is that even a win I kind of feel like I want us to win, of course I do. Um, I certainly don't want us to lose, but the 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 overriding pain is what's going on upstairs. And I just think, will anything ever be that great until they're gone officially? Um, and that's difficult. That's a hard place to be. Yeah, I can I can imagine it, it, it must be very difficult. And luckily for us, we have had that situation yet with with our club. Um, it, Winkle's only getting older, so I'm sure it gets that situation where you know he's going to move on, and we're going to have this ownership. Well, hopefully not, but you might have this ownership roundabout, and it's I know much about the situation. I haven't been a part of it before, but I really hope I don't, to be honest. Um, but yeah, listen, you've got a lot of quality players. Got obviously you mentioned a few there, but also players you brought in through uh, January: Patrick Roberts, Jack Clark, uh, Hughes on a Hughes played a few games, um, Matete from Fleetwood. It's a very talented team. I know they're not performing right now, but it's it's a very very talented squad. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It's imbalanced. Um, I think, like I say, Alex Neal kind of nailed it. And we've got a lot of players who are really talented young kids. Um, Callum Doyle's at Manchester City's Academy for a reason. Does he look absolutely knackered? And does he look like he doesn't know what the hell to do now that he's got seven months into a season and it's not under 23 football? Yes. Is he talented? Absolutely. Um, you know, Tri Humes came in from, from Linfield. He's actually looked all right. He'll be one player that... Hopefully he won't feel burnt out. Should hope he get a good six month out of him and then reassess what he's going to be like in the summer. But you mentioned um, Jay Matete. He's probably been our I would shine in light over the past few games. And he hasn't like dazzled and, and took everyone out in the middle and stuff like that. He just kind of won the ball and put a shift in. Um yeah. but he, he's quite good at like intercepting it. He, he looks like a talent. And and I think what's interesting about Matete is a lot of the players that we have that are like under 21, shall we say, are obviously good players. Um, but they've obviously come from Premier League academies or, or teams in the Championship. And you can see they haven't played the rough and tumble of a, a league season. They haven't had to get stuck in and, and kind of roll their sleeves up against sides that are just going to bat you and bruise you and bully you. Um, Jim Matete is the same age as them, but he's played a season and a bit with Fleetwood. And you can see he's battle-hardened. You can see he's ready for it. He's ready to get stuck in. He's the same age, but his experience, especially at this level, just looks so far ahead of um, these young, talented academy players that we've got, like Jack Clark and 
um, Callum Doyle and, and Dennis Serkin, who came in from, from Spurs, they looked a little bit shell-shocked that things don't just work really easy in, in League One. Matete looks the kind of League One-ready youngster that we should have been signing. So credit him, I suppose. Yeah, with, with Matete in particular, going back to like a yesteryear of Sunderland, the Kyle Lee Casimir a bit in terms of his battling and fight. Oh, yeah, of course, he's not, he's not the captain yet. I'm sure he will be in a few seasons, but... He's that type of player that I, f- I think you've missed overall. You try to bring other players in that have like O nine, for example, who really should have done that role but haven't done it properly. Um, but yeah, I think early stage that Matetti could really take a grasp of that role and uh, be a, a a player that the fans love. Yeah, we we've been really impressed by him. Um, he's been a shining light in a really really dark depressing <laughs> past month. But um, he he has he has looked a good player, and I think we. You know, we spent a decent whack of money on him and poor bugger had to like live with the whole Defoe euphoria because we all thought that JD came back. But I think um, obviously we haven't seen much about of JD 10 minutes here or there. Um, whereas Matei came off the bench against Doncaster and started the last two. And I would say ultimately Alex Pritchard aside, who's another level, um, brilliant little player. He's probably been our best player. Um, so yeah, we're, we're really happy with him if he continues on this vein of form. So new kind of plays for the shirt on the front. You, you remember the name on the back is the cliche, isn't it? And that's what he's seems to be what he's doing at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully, apart from Saturday, he continues that for you guys. Um, yeah, it's always good to see young players do really well. Um, one question that you asked me that I'm going to bounce back to you on our, on, our, on this podcast is that how do you think we beat this, uh, this Sutherland team on Saturday? Many different ways. Um, <laughs> it's weird because sometimes when you're at your most saddest and you're at the most like, oh my God, this can't get any worse with Sunderland, that's when they kind of pull a result out. I remember a few years ago, we went through a really similar run of losing games in the last minute at Gillingham. Then we went to Doncaster and everyone kind of just went, oh God, just, you know, like get beat here as well. Doncaster were doing quite well at the time and we put in one of our best performances of the season, turned them over 2-1 and invaded the pitch. Um, and that's like a, a day in the life of a Sunderland fan, something like a week in the life. Um, but Sunderland, I, I feel like harsh picking on the likes of Doyle and, and the defence, but we concede a lot of goals. Like we concede an awful lot. Um, like one of the highest in the league, I think, especially away from home. Obviously, we're at home. But um, we look tired. Like our spine, if there is one, looks tired. Like Doyle, Sergin have been really, really off form. And they're both good, young, talented players, but Doyle's just turned 18. It's his first full season. Um, Dion Charles the other week absolutely tortured him for Bolton. I, I mean, Dion Charles is not its not the kind of player that he's going to hopefully be coming up against. No offence, Dion, he's plays for Man City's academy. Um, I think defensively, we're really weak. We seem to concede an awful lot in open play, concede from long-range pot shots, concede from set pieces. We look defensively really susceptible, which is kind of weird because I think a lot of us kind of thought Flanagan was at the end of his his end of his time at Sunderland and thought maybe we need a replacement. Lo and behold, we, we sold Flanagan, brought in Danny Bart, and then didn't bring in a replacement at all for Tom Flanagan. So we're kind of stuck with Bailey Wright, Callum Doyle, or Bennett Jamali, who hasn't played for basically 18 months because of an ACL, so we don't even know what he's like. Um and that's kind of like the main three that you have at the back end. And Danny Bart, of course, Danny Bart's injured. So there's not even a great deal of choice to change it. We, we saw Denver Hume, who didn't pull up any trees at Sunderland, but he was the backup left back. And, and Dennis Sergan at the moment looks really weak. Um, 
Pritchard's our main player. Pritchard's our best player. And he can change a game because he's definitely at least a championship level player. He's, his history proves that. He's probably only here because of his injuries. But defensively, we're just very weak. I, I think put any pressure on the defence and come at us, press us high, I think there'll be a lot of problems for us. Okay, so it's, it sounds like a, a Troy Parrott type of game then for any any Don's fans listening. Because he, he, to be fair, him and him and, him and my, my wife, to be fair, have been pretty good at the press recently, but Troy's a bit more relentless with it. So maybe it's a game of backing Troy up front again. Because to be fair, well, we talked about it earlier in the episode, but for me, Troy on Saturday just didn't really work at, at front on his own. But I think if he's solely pressing, then it could be a bit, bit of a different story. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to hear your thoughts on that. Um, final question from me. Obviously, I've heard your prediction already. It's quite a shocking one to me, at least. But uh, I'll let you repeat it on this side of things. So, what's your, what's your score prediction for Saturday? Um, two K, uh, two nil MK Dons. Um, I just don't. I think it'll be on those games where you don't walk all over us, but you get a goal out of something early doors, and then we all kind of go, oh, here it goes again." Get behind the, the the players, try to get ourselves back into the game, and then. Unfortunately, something else happens. I've got loads of confidence in Alex Neal. Um, I really do think he's a very, very good appointment. I think his history with other clubs, Norwich, Preston, Hamilton, really, really good. like the way he spoke. But it's going to take him time to turn that ship around, especially where we're at at the moment. But please, God, replay this back to me on, on Monday and show how much I don't know about football. And, and fingers crossed we can turn it around. Um, I just think confidence is low at the moment, not just in the fan base, I think in the team as well. And I think MK Dons are not a... If we're getting beat off Doncaster and, and Cheltenham, MK Dons are a far better side than that, far better. So even an improved performance, we might still struggle. Oh, we, lo- we lost to Doncaster twice this season, so uh, that says it already. Hey, <laughs> Doncaster, the true promotion candidates and all this. Um, yeah, that, that's still surprising to be hearing that score, to be honest. I mean, a- any Dons fan can look at the stats to see Sutherland, uh, you know, the second best home team in the league in terms of points. Only one off um, Rotherham. See the least goals in the league at home with 11. But of course, all those were under different managers, different uh, stewardship, sorry, as a manager in terms of um, Lee Johnson. So it's, well, it, this is a tough game for me to call. I think this is probably the toughest game of the season in terms of to predict it. Um, I do think the first 20 minutes are going to be actually critical in this one. If the Sutherland fans actually get behind the team and they start fast, then we could be in serious trouble. Um, we have to struggle to adapt to away games this season early on. Um, I don't know why. Maybe we'd like to feel like the opposition early on, see what they're trying to do. Um, I don't necessarily think we don't we don't go into games with game plans, but I just like to I just like to think that Manning just likes to see get a feel of what's happening with the opposition and build from there. Um, See so yeah, how we start slow ends, well, ends, especially his, his Pompey, the, the first half well. Um, could be a similar story here. Um, I I just really struggle to see us getting three points here. Um, and I, I'm, honestly, I'll be happy with a point. I, I do I do still feel that automatics are, are an option, uh, more than an option, quite frankly. But I feel I feel a point away from hiding at Sunderland, to which only, only four teams have managed to get at least that this season from the teams you have played at, at home. Um, I think I think it's an excellent result, and I think he offered that to Manning uh, traveling up before Saturday. I think he'd bite your arm off that, to be honest. So, yeah, one-one for me. I think it'll be one-one. Draw your away games, win your home games. You tend to get promoted, don't you? So I see where you're coming from. Well, yeah, or in our case, you know, be the be like the top top three away team in the league in terms of form, and then lose lose a few at home, and then uh, yeah, go from there to do the complete opposite. <laughs> um, but no, Graham, thank you very much for coming onto the podcast once again. 
Um, as we always say, we're, we're both regulars on each other's podcast now. So it's, uh, yeah, it's good to have you on once again. Um, if you haven't, please check out what the folk podcast or oh, it's Graham's podcast. Um, we, I go on there every time, every time I play Sunderland London, do a little preview for them. Uh, make sure you check out the full episode on their end. And, uh, hey, Graham, good luck for Saturday. Um, hopefully we get the three points, unfortunately for you, but, um, yeah, I think more importantly, hopefully the ownership situation, uh, sorts itself out and, uh, you actually can enjoy support Sunderland again. Yeah, that would be nice. But enjoy your weekend, mate. And thanks for having me back on. Yeah, no worries. Thanks again. Thanks again to Graham for coming on to the podcast once again and giving his thoughts on Sunderland and, well, to quite frankly, the absolute mess it is right now. Uh, gents, your, well, Rob, start with Ross, your, your brief thoughts, how does Sunderland away on Saturday? Uh, what, on, on and off the pitch? Or... Uh, both, whatever you like. Um, first of all, like it's a difficult situation. Obviously, the fans are in um, because they've been left in the dark. It seems like they have been for the last few few years. It seems ever since the downfall from the Premier League. Um, but let's just start off with the owners. Obviously, I don't know what they're going through because obviously Winkle, we've been with Winkleman since obviously the start. So I dread to think what obviously the fans are going through at the moment. And I know, obviously, I've witnessed that at other clubs, um, for example, Blackpool. Um, and it doesn't look great. Um, obviously, they're old owners having so much essential in the stake of the club. Um, and you've just got to feel sorry for the fans, really. And um, I think, obviously, you're going to see a real togetherness about, obviously, the fans, especially if there are protests. They're going to want to, obviously make this new owner I, I don't know much about the bloke but obviously um obviously your chat with graham um he's his dad's ex marseille is it um i believe yeah that's correct yeah yeah um so obviously he's got the background and it, it seems like he's a he's an honest owner but at the same time if he was that honest he probably should have released that the fact that he only owned so much so you can look at it both ways um but yeah, Sunderland, we know that they're a big club and they shouldn't be at League One in my eyes. Um, I see them as a championship club, high championship. Maybe you could class them as a low-prem side. Um, but yes, they're in the position they are in. And um, just going on to Saturday, I do feel like it's going to be a real struggle um, for us. And it's going to be a grind at times. Um, they've got some quality players. I know obviously McGeady isn't getting in the lineup at the moment. Um They've still got like Jermaine Defoe who's getting up to scratch, and if you're giving him a chance from round that um, round that uh, penalty spot, he's going to put it in the back of the net at the end of the day. Um, but also, they've got they've got they've got some players at the back like that young lad from Man City. Um, I can't remember his name. Doyle, Doyle, Boy, Doyle. Um, he's going through a bad patch of form, so ho I'm hoping Mo will uh, be able to run him ragged. Um, but we'll see. Get um, into it. <laughs> I'm I'm hoping we can take advantage of this Sunderland side because um, they are on bad form. And I'm hoping we can uh, run away with three points. Um, obviously, back down south. Um, but yeah, it's definitely going to be a tough game. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. It's it's going to be a tough one. Uh, Joe, what were your your thoughts heading into Saturday? Uh, well, you asked for predictions, so I broke down here. Ross Duffy to fall asleep by 11pm. After that drive, mate, who knows, who knows. Um, I, I think um, 
yeah, it's this weird situation because obviously the new managers come in and, um, you know, I, I was, I kind of wanted them to appoint Roy Keane because I was all for the soap opera and I'm a bit annoyed because they've made a really good appointment in Alex Neil. Um, I think it's a very sensible appointment. And um, I think that, to be fair to the uh, young lad, Kirill uh, Dufree, I think his name is something like that, um, or Dreyfus or some, something along those lines. Um, he's the, the 24-year-old who he owns 41% and uh, he has done a lot of good things at the club. They've started, they've stopped just signing big names. They've, you know, we've seen this summer, they signed a lot of younger players on longer term contracts. So, you know, very sensible, protecting the value of the players. You know, they're not just signing, you know, your Charlie Wikes, your Aidan McGeady's, or like, like in times gone by, perhaps. Um, so, yeah, that's that's one thing that, that, you know, they are moving in the right direction. And I think that the appointment is a good one. However, you know, like you say, there's stuff off the pitch um, as well as on the pitch that if you mix all these things together, does it mean that, you know, the players are like, right, this is a massive game. We need to get behind the team. Or are they going to uh, be not almost move into their shells? And if we get at them in the first 15 minutes, are they going to shit themselves really? You know, is it going to be one of them games where we can just absolutely run all over them? If we if we take the initiative, however, if they're the ones that you know slide into a tackle after thirty seconds, that crowd could very well be up for it, and we could be in for a very long afternoon. So yeah, I think it all depends on you know that if that first 10-15 minutes. I think that will have an indication then of uh, where the momentum's going to be because it could be a, a very toxic atmosphere, which, which would be brilliant for us, or it could be everyone realising that no matter what's happening, we need to get behind this new manager and get behind the team. Yeah, I said exactly the same thing in my thoughts of it all. Um, not that we thrive off toxicity, but that the first 15, 20 minutes would uh, would decide the whole game, really. Um, and that's, that's been the case the whole season for Dons. It, everywhere we go, that's pretty much been the story. So it's, not, it's no surprise to see that happen again, to be honest with you. Um, Just pass it around the back. Just make, yeah, make sure they get yeah. nowhere near it. And the booze will come. <laughs> <laughs> right, so lineups, boys. I will go with mine first. Um, so usual suspects in goal and back three. So Jamie Cumming was H and Louis. Um, wing backs. I've gone with Kane Kessler uh, and Daniel Harvey. Um, I just feel this game is going to be high risk, high reward. And if you're going to do that, you might as well play. Uh, Hessler, uh, sorry, Hessler. Uh, you might as well play KKH to be honest. In terms of, he is really good against Fleetwood. I, I wasn't there in person to see it, unfortunately, but he is really, really good. He probably should have had a two pops of goals to be honest, where he was in the pitch. So, interesting to see how he copes against that young Spurs lad um, on loan there. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting match to watch. And of course, Dan Harvey's Dan Harvey, usually fries in his types of games. So, it'll be interesting to see how he performs here. Holding midfield two. Um, I kept going to Coventry again. Um, don't no reason to reach top either of them, to be honest. Um, both playing really well, especially Connor. Been, been, been fantastic the past three or four games. Um, and yeah, I think that that partnership's coming on quite nicely. Uh, just about obviously working on structure for those two and seeing how that um, works with the front three, which I think it'll be Troy Parrott, uh, Scott Twine, and Mo Issa. I think he will. He, I think he'll prioritise playing Troy this week just for the press alone um, and I think having Kessler and Isa together could work quite nicely 
Um, and I think having those two as well as Theo is a bit too risky in Manning's head. So I think he'll play Troy and just to nullify it a bit and try to win the ball back in high high areas of the pitch. And of course, you know, you've got to play Twine because Twine is that game changer in the in in the not only the team but the league, to be honest. So he's got to play every single week. And uh hopefully he gets us a goal. So um Ross, what's your lineup looking like? Um, I've got as you say, I've gone with the usual back four. Um, Jamie coming, O'Hora, Darling, and Louis. And then I've gone slightly different at right wing back. I do feel like tonight's more suited to this game. Um, only due to the fact that we're going to be very, I assume that we're going to have a lot of the ball. Um, so we will be vulnerable on the counter attack. Um, and obviously, Kesler, we saw a few times at Fleetwood where he got caught out. And yes, if it wasn't for the pitch, he probably would have got punished for that. So I've gone with tonight only because of like defensively. Um, I feel like he's a bit more reassured. Um, so there's no dig at Kesler. Um, but obviously, if Manning wants to go for the game, I'm all for Kesler uh, out, out wide. Um, and I've gone with Coventry and McEachram, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Smith um, involved, only because of we saw what he was like at Fleetwood. I do feel like the pitch let him down slightly. Um, so I'm hoping the pitch will be in a good shape at Sunderland. Um, I know it's due to rain and like this and that, but I I understand that obviously Stadium Light is is one of the top grounds in England, and I'd like to think that the pitch groundsman staff are, are on it as well. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised to see Smith starting in the middle, just for his acute passes and stuff like that. Um, and then I've gone with Harvey on the other side. Again, there's no really other option we can play out wide there. Um, and then I've gone with. Theo out on the right. I do feel like Theo, this is a game where he will love, um, especially if their back lines, they're conceding quite a lot, of, a lot of goals and having someone pushing back in their own six-yard box or what, I just feel like it's, it's a perfect game for Theo to get at. And then obviously I've gone with Twine out on the left. Let's hope uh, he can score a free kick this, this weekend. And... Uh, Make up for the error against Ipswich. Well, it weren't an error, but, you know, it was a good save. And then um, I've gone with Mo up top. Again, I, I just feel Mo in these big games, I, for some reason, I get a feeling that he's going to turn up. And um, let's hope he can uh, prove me right. Yeah, no, like it a lot. I say, if, if you're going to play tonight, it makes sense to play Theo, to be fair. Um, I think those two work well together. Um, but I'll say I went the, op- the opposite way with Kessler. And um, Troy, Troy, what have you gone with for? Um, I've gone different again. <laughs> uh, so I've gone with, I think I've gone with Kane Kessler Hayden on wing back. Uh, and I've gone with Theo and Twine oh. behind Mo. So I'll just, uh, with Kane Kessler Hayden, I think he was very unlucky um, against Fleetwood. I, and the same with Smith. Because I was saying it um, on the pod afterwards, you know, that pitch was not conducive to a fast-flowing playing style. It was, you know, it was the stuff you see in movies where the ball gets stuck in the mud and, you know, it was just, yeah, crap. And I think that, you know, someone like Kane Kessler, his game is pace and fast touches and running at people. And that was not happening at all at Fleetwood. And I think that 
him and Theo on that big stadium of light pitch overlapping each other. Yeah, I'll, I'll have a bit of that, please. And, um, you know, I, I do actually take your point about Troy, uh, that if you can have Mo, you know, you can still have Troy, but maybe behind and Theo would be a great option from the bench. So, yeah, again, there's that. But then, but so, um, yeah, I could absolutely see Theo or Troy starting behind Mo. Uh, but I personally think, you know, why not go for it? You know, that if, you know, they're a bit like a wounded animal, they're either going to crumple up and, and crawl in a corner, crawl in a ball, or, you know, let's finish them off. Yeah, no, I, I actually like all three lineups, to be fair. I think it's, uh, I say it's, it's an unpredictable game. So I think the fact that we've got three different lineups shows how unpredictable it's going to be. Um, so obviously, it's and really it's just the two players. It's just the yeah, two positions true. alternate yeah, yeah. as well, in, isn't it? But of course, of course, in this Don's team, those two positions are, are fairly big ones, to be fair. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Of course, I've gone 1 1 as my score prediction. Gray went 2 0 to MK in his score prediction. Joe, what have you gone for? I'm going for a hat trick of draws for the Dons. Um, I've gone for a 1 0. I think that I think that we're gonna score first, but then I do think that you know almost like Portsmouth, I think they will get back into it. But you know, as I said before, we're not we're not we've not been conceding a lot of, of late, but we've not been prolific at all. I think we scored eight in our last eight, but we've only scored conceded four in that time. So again, we're tough to beat, but we're not smashing teams at all at this point. So. You know, I think the, if for, for me to be confident of us winning, I think maybe the attacking play just needs to have been a bit better in the last three or four games. But, you know, I think we'll play well and I think we'll come away with something. And a hangover. Yeah. Yes, yes. But that, 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 <laughs> regardless of the points, that is definitely guaranteed a hangover. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ross, what are your in thoughts on? the back on? of Ross's fiesta on Sunday Yes, morning. yeah. That'll, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Sad um, drive home. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, or, hopefully, hopefully not. In, hopefully in not. my prediction, it'll be a happy drive home. Oh, uh, so it should be three points, yeah. I've, I, I, I think obviously, um, fortunes will tell you in when I do the long drives away from home, um, we do win football matches. Uh, obviously, Pompey away, we won. Wigan away, we won. And I don't feel like we've lost when we've been on these long travels, Joe. Accrington um, and Fleetwood. More yeah, but as well. we didn't, we didn't, we didn't lose them, did we? Yeah, no. exactly. Listen to Ross. In the contrast, I've driven to Shrewsbury and Doncaster. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a designated driver mm. for the rest of the season. <laughs> well, Plymouth, I am. I'm now banned <laughs> from driving to away games. So it suits me. Yeah, but but yeah on, on the predictions front, um, I do feel like we'll rise. Our players will rise to the challenge, and um, I think they'll be more than up for it. And I, I'm, I get the feeling now that obviously the players are starting to understand what these three points mean now at this stage of the season and it can go on to obviously bigger and better things. So um, I'm, I've gone bold just with Graham and I've gone with a 2-0 Don's victory. I do feel like this could be a masterclass and um, I do feel like it's going to be a huge statement for the rest of the league. Yeah, bring it on, bring it on. I'd say that would be fantastic. I do think if we win here, that'll be. I know we said it a lot the past couple of weeks or the past month or so. That would be the biggest win of the season. You get one hundred percent because well, when we look at Sunderland's home form and everything like that, and I know they're going through a tough period at the moment, but they're still a very, very good team, and it could be a potential playoff matchup in May 
if we aren't fortunate enough to get to automatics, which I know some people say yes, you know, it's already written this time. Um, but yeah, it's uh, really looking forward to Saturday. Um, of course, it'll be a long trip um, to everyone heading up. Yeah, Liam, just just another quick reason as to why I don't think we're going to win on Saturday. Uh, Connor Lawson's heading along, and uh, oh this yeah, young gentleman, wow. he's he's not seen us win in over nine in nearly nine hundred days. Um, so he's not seen the team that have currently got the third best away record in the league win away from home yet this season. So uh, yeah, just another just another possible reason why we might not win. Yes, yeah, Connor. That Connor. That that's brutal, mate. Um, I hope his train. Oh, I'm, look, I'm locking up. Connor up in the pub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that is that is a dreadful, dreadful run of ways. That is that is. I think that's probably one of the worst I've heard actually. Um, so yeah, I mean, hopefully it ends He's on been Saturday. To his fair share. <laughs> I know, I know he has. I've seen him. I've seen him. I spoke to him also. Yeah, so I know, I know he goes to them. So yeah, that that is brutal. Um, but yeah, hopefully it ends on Saturday. Um, We'll see you all there for the long trip. It's, it's definitely well, it's one of the longest ones of the season. Um, yeah, but until then, I'll see you Saturday and come on, you nons. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.